0: Awesome, 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 awesome. So glad to have you all here today. We're excited for you to be here, whether you're online or in person. We are pumped that we have the chance to talk about sex. It's gonna be great. That's why you all came, right? That's why we're dismissing the kids right now. Hey, we're gonna have a little bit of fun as we dive into this. Some of you uh, maybe need a little bit of a stretch break, so why don't you stand up with me right where you are, even if you're at home? If you're by yourself, this might be a little bit weird, but that's okay. What I want you to do is I want you to say this into your screen or your neighbor. So if you're sitting with somebody or if you're sitting close to somebody, you might have to yell a little bit. And I want you to say, this might get a little bit awkward, okay? Perfect, but guess what? Awkward's not gonna kill any of us, right? Awesome, okay, say hi to somebody, sit down, let's go. We're gonna have a little bit of fun. For those of you who might be going like, what is up with this church talking about sex? Why would they do that? We're in the middle of this series called The Big Three. We started it last week. It's a three-parter. We're looking at three of the biggest cultural pursuits that are around in our world today. And we want to talk about those from a biblical perspective. So we started the conversations around love. And now we're moving into sex because sex is everywhere. 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 Everywhere, it's saturated in our culture, it's crazy. In fact, did you know that one of the most prominent rock bands in Canadian music history has a sexual reference right in their name? Does anybody know who the band might be? The Bare Naked Ladies. Crazy, why would you call your band that? And they sing folk music, like, if I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars, what does that have to do? with your name. It's all over the place. What's crazy to me is that when I grew up in church, this was one of the subjects that we never wanted to talk about. Unless we were going to talk about how sex is bad and you shouldn't do it, then that, then we would talk about it. But as I've gotten older, I've understood something entirely different. Sex was a created, wonderful thing, and we need to understand a little bit more about its purpose, what it is, and how you and I can Adapt and morph our lives to embrace the biblical sexual ethic that gives us a heck of a lot more freedom than we ever thought might have been possible. It's not about restrictions, it's about hope in the midst of all things. So, that is the big why and preamble around this. I've said this already our culture is saturated with sex. There's, you know, statistically, you can get lost in a whole bunch of stuff as you look at different rates where people are digesting pornography. You can look at it, different age categories, all the way from age 8 all the way up to 88 and beyond, people consuming this thing that is out there that nobody wants to talk about. What's crazy to me is that there are even apps for our smartphones. I love my smartphone. It's a wonderful tool and a thing, but it should never consume me. And there's apps for my smartphone that if I wanted to, if you wanted to, you and I could be immersed in that porn, sex-filled culture immediately. Different algorithms that are designed to target genders and ages and and browsing histories and all sorts of stuff to try and get you hooked into and normalize sexuality from that consumer-type mentality. I think for me, the most sobering reality is like when I was a younger kid, we didn't have some of these tools. If you wanted to learn about sex, you had to like really do some work and and some effort. And if you wanted to get access to inappropriate material, you had to do some work and some effort, right? You had to go to a store, you had to go to another place, find a magazine, find a video, you know, go to an inappropriate website. You had to go and do those things. And right now in our world today, it just comes at us. It's forced on us. Maybe you've heard about this website, OnlyFans.com. I'm not advocating for it. I don't expect any of you to visit it after this talk today or anything like that. OnlyFans.com. You know what its goal is? To empower an individual to create their own pornographic channel that somebody can subscribe, subscribe to and access to on a regular basis. That, what that means is like you and I could be in our own house, start our own our own OnlyFans channel, and have somebody pay to watch us get naked or do other sexually related activities online. It's insane where we have gone as a world today when it comes about when it comes to the conversation about sex. And so it's time for us to step in and redeem this great gift that God has blessed us with, sex. So we're going to do that in three parts. We're going to talk about what it is from a biblical perspective. We're going to define sex from a biblical perspective. We're going to talk about what it was made for, what its purpose is. And then we're going to talk about how each one of us, despite our personal connection with sex, how each one of us can align ourselves underneath the biblical ethic of sexuality and find more freedom than we ever thought might be possible. That's where we're going today So if I already said too much, I apologize to anybody that wasn't expecting something like this. And definitely for those parents in the room going like, oh my goodness, I should have sent my kid into children's ministry today. It's something we need to talk about. We need to get comfortable with it. And a little bit of awkward isn't going to kill us. So we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start by defining what sex is. Because when we say sex, it can mean a whole bunch of different things. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, right at the beginning. If you don't have your Bible here with you, and you've got your Bible app, you can, do, you can uh, you know, cruise into that and follow along with us. These are the verses. If you're looking for verses to highlight in your own Bible, or to make uh, you know, prominent in your heart or mind, these ones I want you to get super familiar with, because it's going to help you when you bump up against future conversations about sex, and you're going to be like, when somebody even might ask you, "Well, what does the Bible say about it? What does it actually mean? These might be of great comfort in that space. So sex, right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 gives us one of the two-part answer of what sex is. Let me read that for you. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In order to understand what sex is, let's start at the baseline. Sex is one part our created gender, male and female. God, at the beginning of time, instituted that. That is one part of what sex is. So when you're filling out a questionnaire and it asks you what your sex is or your gender is, it's in direct reference to this. Interestingly enough, right? Our culture has picked up on that reality of what God instituted at the beginning. Female, male, God creating gender. That's one part of what sex is. But there's a second part. The second part of what sex is refers to this act of commitment or an expression of commitment. An expression of commitment. If you flip and turn the page, if you got your Bible open or thumb tap your way to chapter two in the book of Genesis, we're going to read specifically what that is referring to in verses 22 through 24. But just before I read those, what's interesting to note about the chapter that we're going to dive into, the second chapter of Genesis, is we get this more immersed bird's eye view on what the creation of humankind looked like. In chapter one, we get this whole great Genesis story, creation story, where God is speaking things into being and when he comes to human beings like we just read in, in, in chapter one, verse 27, we got this beautiful, wonderful thing that has created men and women. And then we get to chapter two, we get an intimate look on what that day what that moment actually physically looked like. Just before verses 22 through 24, you've got God that creates the first human being, a man called Adam, forms his body out of dust, breathes the breath of life into him. That's the first human being that ever exists. Then he looks around and and understands that, man, Adam's a little bit lonely, and this is where some people get squirrely because they think that because men were created first that they must be the superior gender to the other gender females in our world today. And that's not true. See, when God looked at men, he said, man, if I leave this dude alone, he's gonna be in trouble. I'm gonna make a helper for him. That's why he created women to work together so that they can be equally pursuing what it means to live and love like Jesus holistically with one another. This is what that day kind of looked like and what it, what it refers to. And this is why it speaks directly to our definition of what sex is, this expression of commitment to one another. Verse 22, then the Lord made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains Why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That is biblical speak for what sex is meant for. This expression of commitment between a man and a woman to be and live into who they've been created to be, embracing their gender, Now, we're gonna move from what sex is to talking about what its purpose happens to be. And I wanna give you two P words to describe purpose for sexuality from a biblical perspective. The first is this procreation. And the second is this pleasure. This is where it's gonna get weird. Let me ask you this question and you can participate online in your chat of choice, Facebook or YouTube. Which one was created first, procreation or pleasure? Go ahead, yell it out at me or make somebody else yell it out at me if you are nervous. Which one was created first? All right, we don't know. Some say pleasure, some say procreation. If we read on in the book of Genesis and turn to chapter 3, we read about how this world that God made, it was perfect, it was amazing. They had this intimate connection with human beings and their creator. Everything was going super well, and then sin broke in and destroyed everything. It created a divide. It created a gap. It created a schism that was uncontrollable in that we could not earn back that relational intimacy on our own sin entered the world and shortly after then that's when the husband and the wife have sex and they get pregnant and the first human baby is born a man named Cain so if you answered pleasure you're correct you can give yourself a pat on the back if you answered procreation you can just read the bible and (laughs) learn a little bit more but that's the purpose behind sex pleasure and procreation here's the thing oftentimes we don't think in Christian circles or we don't talk about the reality that sex is meant for pleasure. See, what's amazing to me at the beginning of creation is day seven in creation. God speaks all these wonderful things into being, including human beings. And then on the seventh day, he walks around and he enjoys everything that was created. We are meant to, to experience life to the full. We are meant to enjoy life. We are meant to experience and give and provide pleasure. Now, I understand that many of us who have a history with sex maybe have not been able to equate our experience with pleasure. Maybe some of us have suffered an atrocity through an abuse of some kind. I am sorry that that is your history and your story when it comes to sex. I hope and pray that you have been pursuing healing. It is available. I hope that you feel the freedom to invite not only God into the conversation, but professionals to help you walk through the conversation. Anytime our experience with sex hasn't been steeped in pleasure, it's outside of the biblical foundation for what sex actually is. I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for hope for you if that happens to be your personal experience and relationship with sex. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be enjoyable. It's meant to create all sorts of awesome things in you and through you and around you. It's an expression of commitment from a biblical perspective between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Then there's the obvious procreation and some of you might be thinking can you can you sleep together with somebody and not procreate the answer to that is yes you can It's one part of the conversation, it's not the entire part of the conversation. So sometimes people who are like, they have challenges with infertility, they're like, my goodness, does that mean I'm less of a sexual being or the gift that God has given in the form of sex doesn't mean as much to me? The answer is no. There's all sorts of different kinds and expressions of what family can look like. It does not have to be biologically or genetically connected. All I'm saying is that the biblical purpose for what sex is is two parts, pleasure and procreation, and pleasure came first. Pleasure came first. That's what sex is. That's what the purpose of sex is. The biggest question of all is how do you and I, on an individual basis, choose to live under that umbrella, that springboard of what freedom looks like when it comes to our sexuality? For the answer to that, we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Again, if you got your Bible with you, you want to dive right in there with me. We will not have enough time today to exhaust this passage in particular when it comes to sexuality. And so I want to encourage you over the next number of days and the rest of your lifetime, if you're like really curious about what God has in mind for sex, this is the the chapter in scripture you want to study and learn and be shaped by. There's so many wonderful, amazing things in there, and I'm gonna give you three as we move through it, but I just wanna give that as a caveat, because again, I could preach on this all day and still not say everything there is to say from this text when it comes to sex. I'm gonna start with verses one through seven, and, and then go from there, maybe one through nine. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, This is Paul writing and addressing a group of people from the the city of Corinth with regards to sex and marriage. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and... The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan wouldn't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish... Every one of you were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. There's two things that those seven verses kind of highlight for us that I want to unpack a little bit. The first is this, and one that we probably overlook more completely when it comes to this idea of what biblical sexuality could look like and how it could be expressed. And that's what I'll call this, a theology of singleness. In our world today, if you end up being single, if you're walking through this life single, unattached to somebody, there's a lot of assumptions that can be made about you. A lot of questions that people might even ask you that are inappropriate in nature, like, hmm, I wonder what's wrong with you? Why haven't you found a man yet? Which one of the girls are you gonna hang out with and ask to be your wife? In our culture today, and even in church culture, Christendom today, we have a poor definition for what singleness means. There are some rock stars in scripture that were single, that did amazing things in God's kingdom. You do not have to engage in sexuality, expressing it in a physical form of intimacy between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. You don't have to do that in order to live a fulfilled life. You can be like one of the rock stars in scripture. Jesus himself was single, despite what popular uh, fiction writing author Dan Brown might suggest. Jeremiah was single. Paul writes right here, he's now single. Elijah, another rock star of the Jewish faith, was single. They did amazing things alongside of God and amazing things with God, despite never engaging in sexual, sexual relations with another person. And sometimes here in our Christian culture and in our church culture, we devalue the importance of what it means to live a single life. It is not a curse, it is not a burden, it is not a hardship. The beautiful thing, I had a great friend in central Alberta, she was awesome and amazing, this this older lady who had spent her entire adult life single. She invested so much, she was a trained registered nurse she invested so much in the health and well-being of, of people. She would teach at the college. She would serve and care for so many uh, people that needed help and intervention for various medical needs through the local hospital, then at-home visits, you name it. In her retirement, she devoted her life to being a disciple maker, investing in people. There was a women's gathering sometime, and, and, and from the stage, she was able to share her story And to hear her talk about her embrace of the life that Jesus invited her into was amazing. I was permitted to be there because I was running tech. So I wasn't a woman, but I was running tech and I could be at the women's conference, right? And to hear her talk and speak about this was phenomenal. See, the bonus that you have when you are single is you can not only devote yourself to more of what God wants you to do, but you can have a number of significant, deep, intimate, connected relationships that don't have to involve sex in any way, shape, or form and have a rich and full life. Sometimes the, uh, the Apostle Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians is is. People suggest that he doesn't like marriage or he doesn't like sex because he labels it as a distraction. That's not true. What he's saying is that all that effort and energy and focus and intent that you put into pursuing that one thing, you could realign it and focus it into pursuing kingdom-oriented things, Jesus-oriented things, and work alongside him in incredible ways. There's so much more that could be said about singleness, but I want us to understand that it is not a lesser form of life. Jesus has come so that all of us could have life to the full. It's an invitation. And so if Jesus invites you into an expression of what singleness looks like, even for a season, you are not being punished. You're not being punished. There's an invitation behind the opportunity. There's something for you to discover. So whether you are a widow, a widower, somebody who has never been married, somebody who was married and then that relationship is no longer together, whatever the expression of your singleness looks like in the moment, it is not a curse, it is not a hindrance, it is not a punishment, it's an invitation to know more, to go deeper, not only with the Lord but with people around you as he leads. Super important for us. If we want to align our sexuality with a biblical mindset of what it looks like, singleness is an option and it's a healthy and great option. The second thing that these few verses refer to in greater detail is that sex is supposed to be something that is enjoyed, that is enjoyed within the structure and the construct of biblical marriage. A husband and a wife In a greater detail from verses two all the way through to six, you've got Paul spelling out what this practically looks like. Married couples today here in the church should be the most exciting couples to be around because they understand that they are loved by God and they can express love to one another. Translated, it means this. They are enjoying having sex with one another. Sometimes couples don't enjoy that anymore because they stop talking about it. There's something that happens in the bedroom or wherever you happen to engage in sexuality and you do something with your your husband or your wife or you do something to them that they don't enjoy but they're not telling you about it. You got to start talking about sex. What you like, what you don't like, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate working together to have all of your sexual needs satiated. Now, if you've been married long enough, you understand that sex is far more than just a physical act. It's a commitment. It's an expression of commitment. And that's in various forms. There's an emotional connection, a spiritual connection. Yes, a physical connection. But we cannot neglect those other things. It's being willing to serve one another Connect with one another, engage, it's knowing your partner's heart desires, their values, their ideas, it's fanning into flame, all of those things that make up who they are. It's not just a physical act. The physical act is fun, it's important, it's important. We should engage in it if we have the opportunity within our biblical construct of a marriage to do so, but we can't lose sight that it's much more than just that. So Paul reminds us and invites us along with the first original hearers of this letter to understand that the purpose of marriage is so that all of those desires would be satiated within that relationship. This is where the pornography thing comes into play. Because sometimes we as, as guys or gals or whomever might get confused and be like, oh man, this person isn't willing to do this thing with me so I have to go find it somewhere else. That's when we step outside of what God originally designed and focused this relationship to be about. And when we do that, we're inflicting harm and damage not only on ourselves, but the relationship and the relationships connected to that relationship. I'm sick and tired of hearing of Christian leaders falling because of a sexual immorality expression that they wind up inside and caught up in. It's devastating. It's devastating. Now we're all capable of making mistakes. I understand that. But there's a sense of invitation and responsibility for every single one of us that claim Jesus is Lord and King. If we're going to claim that, that we have to step into and walk alongside what it looks like to express our sexuality according to the framework that the Bible invites us to. What that means is that in our relationships, in our marriages, we need to be pursuing health. And if it's unhealthy in your world, get help. Put your hand up, get some help. Some of the things that we struggle with, yes, prayer can, can do amazing things that we can pray for them and we can have God move mountains in the space. Other times we need professional help to help us get over hurdles or mindsets or traumas that we've experienced. See, for some of us, the truth is the abuse that we've suffered is within the confines of our marriage relationship. So even to consider about what it might look like to experience pleasure through sex in our marriage is a foreign concept. So we've got to reach out and ask for help. We've got to reach out and extend forgiveness to one another. We have to understand that the person that we are in a relationship with is our equal. And we are called to serve that person. Not to demand from that person. To serve that person. In all expressions of what sex looks like. There's singleness, there's enjoyment in marriage. Then there's this third idea, where every single one of us have an opportunity to realign our sexual practice and ethic to the biblical concept. Let's read further in chapter seven, if you wouldn't mind, starting in verse number 12, and I'll stop reading when I get bored. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage And the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. See, sometimes we think the world in which we live today, it's never been as bad as it has ever been. That's actually not true. When you understand Greek culture in the day and age that Paul was writing to this group of people in the city of Corinth, you understand that it was not dissimilar to us today. We have differences when it comes to technology, like digital technology and stuff, but the expressions and their pursuits of sexuality looked exactly like ours do today. Convoluted ideas, various expressions, a lot of challenging situations. And there'd be times where people would encounter the living, breathing God and and change and give their lives over to him and change the way that they think. And in those situations, they'd then come up with these challenging scenarios of like, now what do I do? I love Jesus, but the person that I'm with doesn't. What should I do? Some of these were in common law expressions. People weren't married. One of them fell in love with Jesus. The other didn't. Now what do I do? Those are challenging scenarios and situations. And Paul begins to address some of them by reminding us and inviting us to experience freedom in those moments. Verse 17 talks about staying or remaining in the place where God first called you. Practically experiencing, what does that mean? Maybe you here today are in a common law expression of relationship. One of you knows Jesus, the other does not. There's the invitation to remain in that connection because you have an opportunity to witness to your partner by being faithful, by serving, by loving, by guiding, by appropriately expressing your commitment through sex in that connection. Some of us here though, we're both Christians and we're sleeping together for various reasons We need to be reminded that there's a deeper invitation. We need to make a biblical commitment to each other, not just the physical commitment to one another. There's an invitation to align ourselves with the holistic biblical definition for what sex looks like and means in our relationships and to come under the invitation of matrimony, marriage, moving forward together in the way that God originally designed and envisioned way back in Genesis chapter two, the two becoming one flesh. There's an invitation to do that. For some of us, we have given ourselves over to providing our own pleasure on an individual basis when it comes to sex. That expression and that pursuit of sexuality is outside of the biblical foundation and framework for what intimacy and connection truly look like. We're invited to realign that practice, to submit it underneath, to partner with what God wants to do in us and through us and around us when it comes to sex. As I mentioned, we could continue to steep ourselves in this conversation for hours and days and weeks and months and years. The goal and the hope for today was to create space and margin for us to begin to have conversations or take conversations to a deeper level. To not ignore questions or uncertainties, confusions, or hardships when it comes to our pursuit of sex. I want to encourage you to dig deeper into God's word 1 Corinthians chapter 7 continues, and man, it's a banger. There's lots of good stuff in there. But for the purposes of our time here this morning, I want to invite you to respond in a variety of ways. We're going to have a time of prayer, like we try to have every month here at Sea Road, in various forms and expressions. And we're going to have a time of prayer and I recognize that maybe some of you are in a space where this sex conversation has stirred something up. Maybe there's a, a history of, of abuse that you haven't yet, yet dealt with. Trauma, maybe you were the abuser or the abusee in the situation and you wanna deal with that with Jesus. You're gonna have a time to pray through that in these next few moments. Maybe you're at the precipice of engaging in a relationship for the very first time as, as a newlywed couple or a remarried couple or whatever expression that looks like and you wanna honor God with your pursuit individually and collectively as it comes to sex. But maybe there are other things that are weighing heavy on your heart. Maybe the things that you came into this room with have nothing to do with sex, but they have everything to do with love and a desperate need for God to move. Those are the things we're gonna have an opportunity to bring to the Lord through prayer. If you want people to pray with you through those deep needs, I wanna encourage you in a variety of ways. For our online viewers, reach out in the chat right now. As a staff, we commit to praying weekly together for all the requests that are submitted and that we are aware of that people don't even tell us to pray for, but we're aware of and we wanna partner with you in prayer. So if there's something specific that we can do with you here today, please let us know in that expression or send it to info at We would love to commit to praying with you. For those of us here in person, we have an opportunity to remain either where we're seated, praying together with and for the individuals around us or... If we want to engage with somebody through the act of prayer, we're going to have a couple of prayer stations, one up here on my left, one up here on my right, one in the back, all on the main floor. So those balcony folks, if you want to participate and be prayed for, you're going to have to come down from the bleachers and slum it with us here on the first floor. And maybe you just want to be prayed for as you dive into something for the very first time or thinking about diving into something or you want forgiveness. You don't have to give details to the people that will be at these stations. All you can say is, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Whatever expression, whatever information you want to provide, we are willing to pray with you. We want to go to prayer just as we're invited by the apostle Paul in this chapter to go to prayer because prayer can change everything. Changes our hearts, our minds. Helps us restore all things. Helps us be grounded and rooted in something that doesn't shake, that doesn't break, that doesn't crack. The foundation of God His truth is real and absolute. We can stand on that faithfulness every day, all day, 24 seven. So I'm gonna invite you to respond through prayer. In one of those mediums and one of those forms, praying for yourself individually, where you're seated, coming forward or going to the back of the room for prayer or joining and participating online via the chat for prayer. We need God to move in us and through us. If we all aligned our sexual expression within the framework and the freedom that exists from a biblical ethic, man, would we have a story to tell and invite people into about what it means to truly be free as a created sexual being. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to connect with you. I'm grateful that you created this gift that is called sex. Father, I ask forgiveness on behalf of myself and all of my friends that are listening to this and and people who wouldn't label themselves as my friends, but I'm going to call them friends anyway. I'm going to ask forgiveness, Father, for when we've deviated and stepped outside of what the definition of sex looks like, means, feels, experiences. God, I thank you that we're never beyond an invitation to recalibrate our expression of sexuality to have it restored and reset in Jesus name. So father, what I ask for in these next few moments is I ask for miracles. I ask for miracles in regards to heart sets, heart sets And mindsets would you take us deeper take us to a place where we have yet to experience so that so that we have a witness so that we have a story so that we have a hope that we can share from from a deeply personal perspective father for any unresolved trauma and abuse when it comes to sex, I pray healing in Jesus' name, Father. For any personal exploits and forays into sexuality outside of a biblical framework for for healthy relationship with that, Father, I pray that those that may be connected or pursuing porn or have a history of that, I pray that that would become. A practice that is no longer enticing. Would you rip it out, tear it out from our practices, our habits, our mindsets, and allow us instead to be deeply rooted in you? For anyone here who has carried and harbored the wound of their singleness for too long, Jesus, would you grant them freedom? Would you grant them freedom knowing that that lifestyle is rich and abundant and hope-filled more than they could possibly imagine. And so I pray that you would do immeasurably more than what they could think of in that situation. Father, in all things we need you because without you, there is no hope. Would you bless us, protect us, make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, grant us your favor and your peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.